Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. If you want to check out any show notes from this episode, listen to other episodes, or learn about Trip Hacks DC guided tours, you can do all of that over at TripHacksDC.com. If you're new to this podcast, or Trip Hacks DC in general, hello, my name is Rob. I'm a tour guide, and I founded Trip Hacks DC back in 2017. My goal is to give you my best tips, tricks, and travel hacks so you can have the best possible trip when you visit Washington, D.C. Welcome to the first day of 2024. Because of how tourism seasonality works in D.C., it's also a chance for me to close the book on the previous year and look ahead to the next one. So in this episode, I want to share with you what I'm anticipating for 2024. I actually recorded a similar podcast episode to this one one year ago, and I think I got quite a bit right about 2023. So check out episode number 43 if you're curious to go back in time and find out. Now, I think the most important thing you need to know when it comes to tourism in 2024 is that we have reached essentially a state of equilibrium. I wanted to find this clearly, though. This doesn't mean that things are back to the way they were back in 2019, before COVID. There are plenty of things that are different now than in the before times, and I'll cover some of them in this episode. When I say we've reached an equilibrium state, what I mean is that whatever was going to happen, happened. For a long time, the status of a lot of things here was, it's partially reopened, but eventually, once COVID has passed, it will fully reopen. In 2024, there's no more waiting. As much as I hate this phrase, we've basically reached the new normal. To quickly recap, in 2020, believe it or not, a decent number of tourist sites here were open. Smithsonian museums were open for most of the summer of 2020. Yes, you had to have a mask, and yes, they limited admission with timed tickets. But ultimately, those timed tickets didn't really matter because there were basically no tourists in D.C. in 2020. And I don't blame people for not taking a trip in 2020 because the amount of uncertainty at the time was extremely high. Even though museums were open for several months that summer, they all closed back down around Thanksgiving when there was a big COVID surge. 2021 was the year that people wanted to travel. The vaccines were rolling out. People had been cooped up for a solid year and were ready to get back out. And unfortunately for us, things were so slow to reopen in D.C. And then when things did reopen, they were open with limited hours. They weren't open every day of the week. It was, frankly, a mess. Even though 2021 should have been a recovery year, it wasn't because we lost all of spring break and a good chunk of the summer because people held off traveling because things were so slow to reopen. 2022 was the year that people did start traveling again, but traveling in 2022 required a lot of patience. Last year, I talked about how TripHacks DC Tours did record business in 2022, but that a lot of that was merely the fact that many tour companies permanently closed and there was a lot less competition than in the past. Good for me, I suppose, but not great for the industry as a whole. And then 2023 was finally the year that the last holdouts fully reopened. Festivals and events that were canceled during COVID all returned. 
People wanted to go out and have fun and have experiences, and for the most part, they did. Which leads us into 2024, where I expect the equilibrium state of things to hold, barring some major disaster. If you want to come to Washington, D.C., I think 2024 will be as good a year as ever to do it. Now, one thing that comes with a return to equilibrium state is the return of 8th grade field trips. People ask me about these all the time, and for good reason. Field trip groups can be kind of disruptive. They're large, unwieldy groups of often poorly behaved teens and preteens, and to the extent that you can avoid them, you'll have a better experience. Now, to be clear, I think Washington, D.C. is a fantastic educational destination. I think it's a great place for teens and preteens to come and learn about their country and history. My issue is that I think the school field trip is the wrong venue for doing it. I've met tons of great teenagers on my tours over the years, and they seem to get way more out of the experience on a family trip than kids do on a field trip. All of that said, unless you come to D.C. during very specific time periods, field trip groups are basically unavoidable. They came back with a vengeance in 2022. They were very much here in 2023, and I have no reason to expect anything different in 2024. I have an entire video on the Trip Hacks DC YouTube channel with tips for navigating around these groups, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But what you need to know is that the peak field trip season is in the spring, roughly mid-March to mid-June. Of those months, May is the peak of the peak when it comes to field trip groups which is kind of a shame because May is otherwise a great month in D.C. It has the most consistently spring-like weather, and since it's wedged between spring break and summer break, it has relatively low family tourism. Just know that if you're coming in May, you're going to find a lot of field trip groups around. The secondary field trip season is in the fall, roughly mid-September through mid-December. There will be school groups here. But the fall season is much less intense than the spring season. And even if you come in a month like August or January, you are probably going to find some school groups around. Basically, the only time you can come and not see any field trips is around the winter holidays. You won't find any here the week after Thanksgiving. And when I'm recording this, the week between Christmas and New Year's won't have any field trip groups either. Any other time of the year, expect to see them. An equilibrium state also means a return to standard tourism seasonality. Over the past few years, I've been surprised by how many people were in D.C. during what I would typically consider a slow season or off season. I think a big part of this was the fact that people who delayed trips were happy to make them up whenever they could. Maybe their original trip was scheduled for June, but if the opportunity to come in February came up, they took it. Now that most of those postponed trips have happened, I think people are back to thinking and planning seasonally. The reason I'm confident in saying this is because I'm recording this the last week in December, and the Trip Hacks DC private tour calendar for January and February is wide open. I think I only have two bookings for those months so far. This is okay, because traditionally, these months are low season, and I treat any bookings I get during this time period as kind of a bonus. 
Meanwhile, my interest list of people who've contacted me about a tour in March or April keeps growing. And what this says to me is that we're back to standard seasonality. For you, that means if you come during low season, you can expect small tourist crowds. And if you come during high season, expect big crowds. Now, let's switch to something that's also reached an equilibrium state, but is very different from back in 2019, and that's downtown foot traffic. Historically, Washington, D.C. has been a city with a large concentration of white-collar office workers. Pre-COVID, they used to measure what they called the daytime population, which basically accounted for all the people who commuted into the city for work. You might say that Washington, D.C. has a population of 700,000, but a daytime population twice that. As we all know, most white-collar office workers switched to working from home during COVID. What started as, we're going to do this for a couple of weeks, turned into, we're going to do this for a couple of months, turned into, we're going to do this for a couple of years, and it's now at the point where there's no more waiting to get called back to the office. This is the new normal. Now, I have to be careful with my words here, because I know many white-collar office workers have very strong opinions about whether they should be required to work from home or an office. I'm not going to weigh in on that. But I am going to say, objectively, that fewer people working in downtown offices means a less vibrant downtown. And this has ripple effects for tourism because a large number of hotels in D.C. are concentrated in the same areas where there are now big, vacant office buildings. Pre-COVID, I universally said that the best area for tourists to stay was the area downtown near the White House. It was the perfect balance of being close to most of the big tourist sites, close to all the metro lines, and at the time, downtown was vibrant enough that there was plenty of places to eat and hang out near your hotel, too. The last few years, I've slowly started to suggest maybe staying in an area like The Wharf or DuPont Circle instead of downtown, for the reason that these are places that, in the absence of downtown office workers, are a bit more vibrant and fun for tourists, because they're the places where people actually live. That doesn't erase the fact that most hotels are still downtown, and it's not a bad area to stay, it's just a downgrade from before COVID. And if you came to D.C. in the before times and stayed at a hotel downtown, it might not be like what you remember. Long term, there are a lot of folks saying this is a big opportunity to remake downtown D.C. Most American cities are experiencing a housing shortage. And what better opportunity than to convert now unused office buildings into housing? I think this is great. But my understanding is that it's a little more complicated than you might think. And even if it wasn't, these are multi-year projects, and it might take a decade before the vibes noticeably start to shift. A return of white-collar office workers is not something I anticipate in 2024. Obviously, there are some who are working downtown. I don't want to make it sound like this is all or nothing. But I expect 2024 to look a lot more like 2023 than like 2019. All right, now my coffee needs a refill, so let's take a one-minute break and then we'll come back with more of what's to come this year. If you're listening to this podcast, my hunch is that you're probably planning an upcoming trip to Washington, D.C., or at least dreaming about a future adventure. 
One thing I've learned from meeting thousands of travelers and doing a bit of traveling myself over the years is that experiences are usually the best memories from a trip. That's why I started Trip Hacks DC. I didn't just want to create content to help you plan a trip, but also to provide an amazing experience once you arrive. And I think it's worked because people tell me all the time that their Trip Hacks DC tour was the highlight of their trip. And that really makes me happy. So if that's something that sounds up your alley, you can head over to TripHacksDC.com to learn about taking a private tour with me or a public group tour with one of the amazing Trip Hacks DC tour guides. And we're back. And let's turn to a bit of a hot button issue. Inflation. I'm just going to state it bluntly. Things are going to be more expensive in 2024 than they were in the past. This includes everything from your hotel, to your Uber rides, to your meals, to your tours. To be clear though, inflation is not a problem unique to Washington, D.C. In the past couple of years, I've made a handful of domestic trips. I've been to New York City a few times, to Las Vegas, Orlando, Salt Lake City, Baltimore, Williamsburg, and Northern Michigan. None of these places felt cheap or inexpensive compared to D.C., Las Vegas and Orlando felt way more expensive than D.C., at least at the resorts and tourist sites that I visited. I don't expect this to change. The cost of doing business is higher than it's ever been. And the reality in tourism is that a lot of companies did not survive COVID. So in a lot of ways, there is less competition and combined with high demand, you get high prices. I did a coaching session at a tour operators conference last year. And the person analyzing TripHacks DC tours told me that I was underpricing my private tours by probably about $100 during peak season. Basically, he asked, how many tours are going unsold during peak season? And my answer was none. And then he asked, how many people want to book a tour but aren't able? And I only have somewhat of an idea about this because occasionally people email me and ask to be put on a wait list but there are probably even more people who look at the tour calendar, see no availability, and quietly book elsewhere. It was quite eye-opening to hear it laid out like this, but it's true. At least during peak season, at my current pricing, demand exceeds supply. I've always wanted to keep my tours as accessible as possible, knowing that a private tour simply won't be accessible to every traveler. But I am leaving something on the table. So this winter, I am working on figuring out how to offer more tours without cranking the pricing way up. Though in reality, prices will have to come up at least a little bit. Now, I know this is frustrating, but I'm going to share some advice, which is honestly some of the best life advice that I've ever gotten. After I graduated college and started my first post-grad job here in D.C., I was really frustrated because I was still used to the college student life and college student pricing. So I was frequently complaining about the prices of everything. One day my roommate, who was a few years older than me, sat me down and said, you aren't in college anymore. You're not going back to that lifestyle. If you constantly compare the price of things now to what you paid before, you're going to wake up angry every day, and that anger is never going to change anything. Being mad because things are more expensive out here in the real world isn't going to magically make prices go down. The best thing you can do is get over the sticker shock as fast as possible. Accept that this is how it is and not let it live in your head. 
It was really sobering to hear, but he was exactly right. Being angry that things are expensive isn't going to make them less expensive. It's just going to make you angry. So the faster you can get over sticker shock, the better of an experience you will have. All of that said, as prices continue to go up everywhere, I think this makes Washington, D.C. an increasingly good value because so many major tourist sites here are free. You still have Smithsonian Museums, National Gallery of Art, the Capitol, Library of Congress, National Archives, Arlington Cemetery, all free. The Monuments and Memorials are all free. I do recommend a tour, but that's not free, and if money's tight, you can still see them on your own. Plus all the big events, like the National Cherry Blossom Festival, is mostly free. The 4th of July festivities are free. The Folklife Festival, National Book Festival, these are all top caliber events that you can attend without paying a penny. And even though our pandas departed a few months ago, the National Zoo is still a top tier zoo that you can visit for free. I would argue that there is no other destination in the USA with the caliber of things that you can do here without spending a dime on a ticket. So it's true when you come to DC in 2024, some things are going to be more expensive than in the past and more expensive than what you're used to back home. But it balances out if you build an itinerary that includes some free things too. One thing that I personally find to be extremely helpful when I travel is to actually look up prices of things in advance for the trip and start pre-setting expectations for what everything will cost. I even set my expectations above what I think is necessary to have a bit of wiggle room. Now, let's talk specifically about restaurants because 2023 was a bit of a volatile year for restaurants in DC and I expect 2024 to be volatile as well. First, let me plug episode 49 that I recorded last year with Jessica Sidman, who's the food editor for Washingtonian Magazine. There is a lot of really good information in there, and at least right now, is still pretty up to date. The thing about restaurants is that, at first glance, it seemed like a lot of restaurants survived through COVID because they made it through 2020 and 2021. But I think this was a bit of an illusion. Absent any kind of intervention, every single restaurant would have permanently closed in 2020. Between the periodic shutdowns, limits on indoor dining, and fact that fewer people were comfortable eating at restaurants at all, it was rough. But there was intervention. There was government support to keep restaurants open. A lot of landlords worked with restaurants, and rent payments were either deferred or reduced. And that continued into 2021 as well. But by 2022, those supports were mostly gone, and restaurants needed to fend for themselves again. As a business owner, I have the greatest respect for people who run restaurants because just running my little tour business is challenging enough. And it's a relatively simple business at the end of the day. I don't even have to worry about a landlord or the cost of goods. I can't even imagine how challenging it is to run a restaurant. Here are some statistics from a DCist article that I will link to in the description. Approximately 52 restaurants in the district closed in 2023 compared to 48 in 2022 and 40 in 2021. And 72 restaurants opened in the city last year, compared to 74 in 2022 and 77 in 2021. Now, if you're like me, your first instinct is to think, 72 openings is still more than 52 closings, a net positive. And that's true. 
but it's the trend that's moving in a bad direction, and that's what's most concerning. Restaurants are facing a lot of challenges. There's no doubt about that. It's hard for me to imagine that 2024 is going to be any easier for them than 2023. I still think we are lucky to have a ton of amazing restaurants where you can go and have amazing experiences. But I've also personally gone to restaurants over the past couple of years and had really mediocre experiences too. If you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend checking out episode 49 to get a sense of what the state of the restaurant scene is like right now. Something else I'm going to be paying close attention to in 2024 is Metro. Metro has been on quite a roller coaster over the past few years. I'm not going to lie. Metro had some dark days during COVID. For a variety of reasons, Metro was running a lot fewer trains, which meant longer waits, less convenient transfers, and generally just a worse experience all around. Then, in summer 2022, Metro got a new general manager, Randy Clark. Now, a year and a half later, I am confident in saying that Randy has done an amazing job as general manager. Like, he has exceeded my expectations in every measurable way. That's not to say I had high expectations to begin with, but still, I think you should always give credit where it's due. And watching Metro drastically improve from those dark days during COVID to what it is now is encouraging. That's the good news. But unfortunately, it's not all good news. Many transit systems, including Metro, made it through the COVID years because they tapped into pandemic relief money. That money is basically gone, used up, spent. Combined with the fact that fewer people are working in offices downtown and by extension riding Metro on a daily basis, Metro has money problems. This is certainly not the first time Metro has had money problems, but it's nevertheless pretty concerning. Randy Clark has stated bluntly that in the worst case scenario, Metro will have to close entire stations, run fewer trains, and shorten operating hours. Basically, Metro would go back to the darkest days during COVID, but even worse. And this could happen as early as 2024. Metro is not the only transit system in the United States with money problems right now. But Metro is uniquely vulnerable because it requires funding from three separate governments, the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia. It's hard enough to get anything done in one, let alone getting all three to work together. This is potentially a major issue for both locals and visitors. Metro is, aside from walking, the single best way for most Washington, D.C. visitors to get around. The reality is, Metro is a major piece of tourism infrastructure, and it would be a huge blow if the worst case happens. It doesn't mean Metro will close up shop entirely, but it will mean a major downgrade over what we have today. So I am cautiously keeping an eye on this. And if you want to follow along, the best way is to subscribe to the Trip Hacks DC YouTube channel, as I do occasional tourism update videos, and this will definitely be covered there. Now let's move on to another big thing that's happening in 2024, the presidential election. If you're listening to this from the U.S., you already know the 2024 presidential election has been underway for months. If you're listening to this from outside the U.S., you'll surely be hearing about it soon if you haven't already. In theory, a presidential election should have no effect on Washington, D.C. tourism. Whatever you think of the Electoral College, and I will save my own opinion on it for another time, it is the system that we have. And that means that in a presidential election year, 
almost all presidential campaigning will happen in less than 10 states. There is no presidential campaigning in Washington, D.C. because the District of Columbia is not competitive. If you want to see hardcore presidential campaigning or avoid it, that will all be happening in states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia, plus maybe a small handful of others. In every election cycle, you hear people running for office reciting the same line and talking points. That Washington is broken. That you need to vote for them to come and quote-unquote clean up Washington, or many similar things. Of course, if you're even remotely savvy, you know that the city of Washington, D.C. and the legislative branch of the federal government are not the same thing. But these are the lines that get set anyway. I've lived in D.C. during plenty of election cycles. None of this is particularly new. But I have the feeling that 2024 is going to be an ugly, ugly election. I think much more toxic things are going to be said about Washington, D.C. beyond Washington is broken. I just hope that most people are savvy enough to understand that when these things are said, it's often not in good faith. And it's usually because the person saying it wants to score some cheap political points. Back in episode 51, I said that Washington, D.C. experiences a reverse Paris syndrome. People have very low expectations because they constantly hear politicians and political pundits crapping on the city. And then, once they arrive, realize it's actually quite nice. This is always something that's happened, but I am dreading 2024 because I can see this really ramping up and getting really ugly. Speaking of politics and government, another thing that we will have to continue to keep an eye on is the potential for another federal government shutdown. I actually thought there was going to be a shutdown on October 1st, 2023. Amazingly, the shutdown was averted. And then, in a historic turn of events, the Speaker of the House of Representatives was kicked out because he helped avert a shutdown. It's hard to look at the situation and have any hope. If politicians are being punished rather than rewarded for keeping the federal government open and operating, I don't know what hope there is for future extensions. I'd love to be proven wrong, but it's yet another thing we have to navigate here in D.C. when it comes to tourism, since so many of the big tourist sites are part of the federal government. And the federal government is not yet funded for the 2024 fiscal year. The next deadline to keep an eye on is only in a few weeks at the end of January, at which point we could be looking at yet another shutdown. If and when that happens, I'll do my best to distribute information relevant to tourism on the TripHacks DC YouTube channel. So that's the best place to follow along for that. One other piece of news we just got is sports related. And it's that the owner of the Washington Wizards and Washington Capitals, the same person owns both teams, wants to move from Capital One Arena downtown to a new arena in Virginia. I think this is terrible. It's a real punch in the gut. And I've lost nearly all respect for the owner of these teams, as more and more details come out about his scheme to move to Virginia. That said, this is not yet a done deal. It still requires approvals by the Virginia legislature. It still requires other local approvals. And even if everything is approved, the actual move won't happen until 2028. The problem is, you have to imagine a bar or a business downtown near Capital One Arena. 
Even if the teams are still playing there until 2028, once their lease is up, why re-sign? The worst case scenario is that the area downtown around Capital One Arena becomes a ghost town. And that's not something I want to see or that I think a lot of people want to see. Again, this isn't a done deal yet, but it's clearly what the owner of these teams wants. So it's fair to say he's going to do what needs to happen to make it happen. Even if you're not a basketball or hockey fan, this could still have ripple effects on tourism. So I will be keeping a close eye on it. And I don't want to end with negativity. So let me say that I still think Washington, D.C. is a great travel destination. As a tour guide, I meet people from all over the world, and overwhelmingly, people have a great time when they visit. So if you're thinking about coming in 2024 or already planning on it, start getting excited for your trip. Plus, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and the Trip Hacks DC YouTube channel. I have a big list of content ideas for 2024 that I think you'll really like. And finally, I want to specifically thank everyone who came on a tour with me this year or in any prior year, I am able to produce this podcast, the Trip Hacks DC YouTube channel, and all Trip Hacks DC content completely free, ad-free, and without having to balance the conflicts of interest that come with advertisers, all because of everyone who signs up for a tour. So if that's you, thank you. Or if you're thinking about signing up for a private tour, head on over to the website to check it out. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.